This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. Welcome back, Brian. Hey, Ed. It's been a long time. It has. Uh, it's summer, so we've been doing stuff, right? Yeah. Like leaving our phones on while we record and getting, yeah, like that. getting messages popping up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How's your summer been so far? Uh, it's been good. I've had a lot of visitors here at the house. We've been taking uh, travel days to, to go to theme parks and do fun stuff. Um, and, it, you know, it's just basically your, your average summer. How about you? Oh, good. Yeah, we went on a big vacation to Denmark and Norway and the cruise and stuff like that with the whole family. It was fun. Sounds really awesome. Yeah, so it's beautiful. Really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, so that's probably why you guys haven't heard us around for a while. We've been uh, either vacationing. Yeah, traveling with family or exploring the world like Brian here. And uh, we, we've had a lot of shows in the can. I've gone and traveled a bit before the vacations started, and uh, we recorded a lot of shows at uh, Code Palooza and Star Trek, and we've been playing those. Uh, hopefully everybody's enjoyed that big queue of content that we pushed out, and uh, hopefully everybody's listening to us while they're traveling as well. Uh, these shows are great for uh, while you're passing time on the plane or in the car and... Uh, uh, teach the kids how to code while you're driving, right? <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but they're they're great to to fire up the podcast and put your earbuds in and uh, tune out the uh, the ruckus in the back seat. Um, and uh, we we've had some good shows. We just rounded out our um, conference material with uh, uh, degree seeking developers, which I recorded at Code Palooza along with a mobile strategy panel. So if you haven't caught those two shows yet, those are the last couple in the queue for um, the busy travel season I just had, and uh, we'll be getting some new interviews uh, together shortly. But uh, we have our Developer Digest show back, and uh, that's where Brian and I talk about latest and greatest things happening in uh, the industry. We, we have a newsletter uh, that goes out. Brian, uh, if they haven't heard about the newsletter before, what's details on that? Oh, we send it every other week, and it, it includes articles from the Tiller Developer Network, but also articles from around the around the web that on you know topics relevant to both you know front end developers, .NET developers, and you know just developers in general. Yeah, it's a great uh, like polyglot type uh, newsletter, and it's uh, partially made up from. Our team's blog posts, and we we write about all things development too. Uh, it's not just progress software and Telerik branded uh, UI component stuff. We we kind of include a little bit of everything in there, and um, we we also do like around the web, like Brian said. So uh, you'll find a lot of uh, interesting articles that we found were really cool and, and thought everybody would enjoy. So go to developer.teleric.com, subscribe to the newsletter, 
And uh, we're going to kind of give you our opinion of some of the articles that we featured in that newsletter now. So uh, first up, um, and actually uh, the, there's going to be a little bit of theme here. We've got a lot of .NET stuff this week. So if you're a .NET developer, you, you've got a, a great amount of content to go check out. And uh, being a .NET developer, I'm happy to kind of give you my two cents on, on a couple of things here. We've got sure. building reusable UI components for ASP.NET Core up, up first. Uh, that was an article written by Scott Addy uh, from Microsoft. Yeah, and you seem pretty excited. I, I noticed you tweeted about that today because I think it was about the tag helpers specifically. To tell everybody yeah. what your thoughts are on that. So I, I gave the article a good read. Uh, tag helpers is a pretty hot topic for ASP.NET Core developers right now. And uh, Scott hit on something that I, I've tried to communicate myself time and time again, and, and he just worded it really well. And he's talking about the fact that people ignore accessibility, um, not on purpose, just because it's um, it's the the kind of uh, high uh, hanging fruit type of thing where you, you got to knock out all the low hanging fruit first, and if you're you're lucky, you have enough time to go back and revisit those accessibility features that you wanted to add, and by using tag helpers. Uh, you're able to include those without additional effort on your part. So if you're using uh, Telerik UI tag helpers, you're getting all those accessibility features uh, right out of the box. You don't have to do any additional work. And uh, you can make sure that you're, you're making your application uh, as accessible as possible for everyone. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's especially important for people that work in uh, those corporate environments where, where you're building line of business applications and uh, you want to make sure you're, you're being all inclusive on those apps and, and make sure everybody in the organization can uh, use those without issue. Yeah, the other topic he, he uh, goes into is uh, view components. Uh, since I'm not a .NET developer, tell me, explain to me what view components are and why yes. they're important. So in previous versions of ASP.NET MVC, we had this uh, concept of a child view. Uh, so you have your, your main uh, model view controller um, pattern in the views. Uh, sometimes you want to use a reusable piece of uh, view logic, uh, but it's not necessarily like something like a, um, a UI control, like a button or uh, you know, some sort of input. Uh, something like that, uh, even a chart, you know, it's it's not so small that it can be componentized like that, but maybe you have a uh, survey uh, widget or something that has m many components that make it up, but it's something you want to use throughout the application. Uh, so you'd use these child pages or child components that would that would do this for you. Well, they took that out in ASP.NET Core and replaced it with view components. Uh, so these things have their own uh, logic behind them, and then also the the rendering logic is included with those as well, and you're able to add those uh, to many, many views, but have one shared piece of code uh, that controls that logic. So it's a nice way to uh, wrap up a uh, larger piece of uh, UI code uh, along with some uh, logic that's on the server, maybe it's calling out to a web service and pulling in 
I think in Scott's example, it was pulling in uh, weather data, right. and uh, maybe you want to have that widget, uh, you know, put throughout the site or in the the layout page even, so it, it shows up all over the place. Cool. So, and so, let me ask you because one of the kind of skipping ahead to one of the other articles we had talked about, we're going to talk about the ASP.NET Core Preview Two, and I don't even know if there's been another preview since then, but. Um, you know, what are some features that are coming out in that that are you think stand out as well? Uh, so ASP.NET Core Preview 2, uh, one of the biggest things that I, I think people are going to be looking at in this release is the templates that they've added. Uh, there's a new templating system for ASP.NET Core. Mm -hmm. uh, it's being built now. It's it's currently available in, in some limited form uh, on the command line. You can say .NET new, and uh, there's a couple built-in uh, templates that you can run. So mm -hmm. you can say .NET new MVC, and it'll give you an ASP.NET MVC application that's all templated out for .NET Core. Um, and you can also do a .NET new double dash install and if you know where to look and find these additional templates, you can install uh, like Angular templates, React templates, and um, I'm trying to remember what the other one is. There now, yeah, I, I, I don't even know if we've released this yet, uh, but I heard there was UI for UWP ones as well. Is that right? Um, I think those are being shipped through Windows Template Studio. Okay, so something is, different. Yeah, something that is uh, very different, but uh, the end goal is the same. So Windows okay. Template Studio um, is for mainly for UWP applications. So okay. In the past, there, there's not been uh, great templating for UWP apps, and uh, they've added recently a new templating um, ability to UWP. And uh, we did a show about that a couple months ago uh, in tandem with Build, uh, and we had um, we had Michael Crump on the show, and uh, he from Michael Crump. Clint, I've heard of this guy. Yeah, Michael Crump and Clint Rutkus. Uh, Michael used to work with us here at Telerik, and uh, they talked about the uh, Windows Template Studio in detail. So if you are interested in doing uh, UWP apps, you can go back and check those out. Um, check out that show. The, there's links in the show notes there to learn how to do that type of templating. Um, in ASP.NET Core Preview 2, there are new templates for all of the many JavaScript UIs. Uh, and uh, traditionally, or, or in the last uh, ASP.NET Core releases, you would install those through .NET New. And now those are available in Visual Studio through File New Project. Cool. Lots of new things for .NET developers to be messing with, huh? Yeah. And they, they keep on coming. Uh, we, we talked about ASP.NET Core and all the new stuff there. But uh, Sam Basu wrote about the Xamarin Live Player. Uh, he, the title of the article is Xamarin Live Player Unpacked. So we've got yeah. some new, new features got, there. It's, you know, I think 
I, I've messed a little bit with NativeScript in this, like we discussed earlier. This is a lot like the NativeScript. Um, what, what do we call, what's the term? What do we call it? LiveSync. LiveSync, yes, uh, allowing you to actually see what your what your code is doing as you code it, right, and easily deploy to to uh, um, devices so that you can test on device without having to go through the whole process that you know Apple makes. Well, Apple makes it easy, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so if you're doing mobile development, you might sideload your app into a device. And, um, you know, even even on uh, Android, this isn't the easiest thing to do. Uh, you know, you have to package your app up into whatever package style uh, Android or iOS needs and then sideload it into those devices. Um, and... If you make any kind of change that requires compilation, you're going to do that whole process over again. And it, it just gets to be uh, too much to, to keep checking on changes right. over and over. Right. And so, this one, it seems like even, you know, to a certain degree, uh, it sounds like there's some limitations in it, but you can even actually change code and have it view the view it running live on the device. Like, you, not that you even have to push it. You can, you can live run it and then start changing certain types of aspects of the code that will actually show up right away. Yeah, so you you load essentially a uh, app that synchronizes the live viewer or live player with uh, Visual Studio. Mm -hmm. And then uh, while you're writing code in Visual Studio, if it's not something that's going to require the application to recompile and and there's no breaking changes type of thing happening there mm -hmm. uh you you can actually you know change and do design changes and stuff like that and it'll reload right on your device inside of uh the native um device right on the screen uh, without you having to package it up and deploy right. it and all that good stuff yeah that's nice but i i will say if you know there was a bunch of this is early days uh, release kind of thing. There's a lot of caveats he had um, about you know different kinds of limitations between you know, which devices it works on or how big the app can be and, and things like that. So um, another one he said was no custom renderers. So so there are, and 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 even this is like a preview release if I understand it right. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, they they announced this at Build, and it's uh, pretty cutting edge for Xamarin. Um, you know, we've had we've had this in NativeScript for a while. Xamarin's a little little bit of a different beast. You know, you've got a compiled C sharp language running there, um, and that's being cross compiled out to iOS and Android. So I mean, there's a, there's a lot more um, craft, I guess, for this type of thing to to make it available uh, through Xamarin, but it's happening and it looks cool. Um, if you're a web developer or a native script developer, you know, you're used to this workflow where you make a change and almost instantaneously you see the results mm -hmm. uh, either on your screen or on your device. So having this for Xamarin is a powerful feature. Right. Yeah, that's really nice. Uh, next up is an article that I wrote and I've been exploring Azure Machine Learning for the last few months, and I've been writing a series on that, and we've been publishing that to TDN, or Telerik Developer Network. 
and uh, I've I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm ready to create a view uh, or a, an app with the actual machine learning algorithm running in the background. So I'm I'm showing how that's done. So from the beginning, uh, if you start at the very first article, I, I write about you know what exactly is machine learning, and then. Um, how to build a machine learning model with Azure Machine Learning. And now uh, on this article, I've, I've gotten to the point where uh, we create a web service and consume it in um, Visual Studio uh, with ASP.NET Core. And uh, most of this is, is actually just using uh, JSON. So we're, we're creating a HTTP request and uh, going out to Azure Machine Learning and um, the, the real difficulty of it is not so much the machine learning part anymore, but just dealing with the JSON that's going back and forth mm -hmm. uh, from the application uh, to the machine learning web service. And uh, the, the way this is uh, structured, uh, the object that comes back from Azure Machine Learning, or it needs to go, sorry, rather to Azure Machine Learning and populate all of the, the fields that you've, you know, you need to populate, uh, depending on how large your your model is and how many inputs it has, uh, it can be quite a few. Uh, in my case, there, there were quite, quite a few, so I'm parsing a lot of JSON, and, um, and when it comes back, that, that request has uh, just a little bit left, a uh, little bit of JSON left to parse back into the app. So you've got like a, a strongly typed model, uh, and then we parse that out, send that to Azure, and then Azure runs it through a machine learning algorithm and gives you the results. Uh, your application gets that back, parses it into something uh, easy, another view model, and, and then we can display that in an ASP.NET app. Right. Uh, so now you, basically you've built the machine learning piece um, and, and now you've integrated it into your .NET app. So the next step would be what? So next, I plan on creating something that that actually looks nice and and kind of gives a real world example of how you might use such a uh, configuration. So we've got all the working pieces, um, except there's no real UI for this uh, right now. I'm just dumping uh, the results from the machine learning algorithm back out to the view directly. Mm -hmm. So. In this example, it's a uh, loan pre-approval process, and I have one canned um, set of inputs, and it sends those out. It gets the results back, and then just dumps true or false right out to the screen. So nothing pretty going on there. Uh, so what I, I hope to do next is create a uh, mock, uh, like banking application that you might use in real the real world and has you know your credit score up on there and a couple input boxes that you need to fill in by hand and uh, sends all that stuff out and then gets the response back and and gives you a nice ui of uh, whether you you're pre-approved or not and mm -hmm. uh, we'll we'll get all that uh, written up and we'll we'll publish a source code so people can check it out um, so far, if you're interested in the, the machine learning part, all of the uh, source for that is is up on uh, the Cortana intelligence library, uh, and those are private links right now, so you have to get those links through the articles, but you can see how everything is built. So I'm, I'm revealing all of the, the source for that stuff. Awesome. Looking forward to the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Uh, it's been fun to learn about it. Uh, this machine learning stuff is... 
really got my interest over the last few years and it's cool to see a tool that is designed to make it so somebody like myself can um, get in there and actually use it without taking years of study on <laughs> data science or right uh, anything like that some basic statistics knowledge is enough to to make you dangerous in there so um, check it out it's really cool stuff yeah it's is it's really interesting it's definitely something that i think not just myself but i think developers in general need to start kind of understanding you know the basics of machine learning obviously i think there's a lot machine learning is a very broad topic that we use in you know, like a there's a lot of things that fit under that umbrella um mm -hmm. but it's it's definitely something that developers need to figure out which parts are most relevant to them and just start messing with it but yeah it's really I think cool it's, that you're doing this well thank you i think it's a must-have um for the future of uh, developers careers to, to at least understand what's going on out there in machine learning and, and know how to interact with services that are built from it mm -hmm. and, and kind of understand why you get the responses that you get from it and, and what uh, things like a confidence score uh, mean or probability score mean when you get your answer back from a machine learning algorithm. It's, it's really important to know that. And, you know, I've been talking about this for a while now at conferences, and one of the things that I keep trying to hit home is if, if you want to be a software developer in the next couple of years and you want to be successful, or, or you have a product even that you want to be successful, you, you have to understand that this machine learning stuff is out there. Uh, if you try to ignore it and you know just think it's a fad or it doesn't apply to whatever you're doing, uh, it's going to pass you by and it's going to be painful to, to try to catch up after the fact. Um, and I think it's even a big enough deal to uh, compare it to when the iPhone came out. You yep. know, the, the mobile deniers, uh, you know, think that mobile isn't important um, and waited to see what happened, waited too long. And, and now there's a lot of people trying to play catch up in the mobile space. And uh, it's it's hard to catch up on this stuff once it's passed you by. Yeah, never so, mind the fact that I mean sometimes if you if you're not there early, like you that not only does that pass you by, but but the you know you miss the opportunity that your business not just to grow your business, but maybe to keep yourself in business. And I saw lots of people who did not, um, lots of companies who didn't didn't do anything about mobile, like you said. And never mind that they are playing catch up. Some some places just simply that killed them because their competitors went there and they didn't. And um, you know, so it's you know you don't even have the opportunity to catch up. Yeah, I, I think this is the same. I think this is paramount. Like if you're not investing in this technology now, then you're you're already behind. And if you keep ignoring it, then like you said, you're either gonna be you know. Out of uh, out of the job or out of a product or or however that may go, but uh, it's not going to turn out well. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yep. It's uh, something to look at. Um, glad I'm learning about it uh, in detail now, and um, glad to be able to share that with others and try to try to put it in some some terms that are familiar with developers. And uh, it's cool to see a tool out there that helps do that as well. Nice. So what's next? We got uh, 
Co-chairing between web and mobile. So this is our yeah. colleague Sebastian wrote this article. Um, you know, and and it's obviously it's a NativeScript article. Um, and one of the interesting things about NativeScript is one one of the things that kind of I think differentiates it from other technologies is that is this ability, particularly when you're using Angular, to be able to share portions of the of your JavaScript code from your your Angular web app to your Angular native script native mobile app. Uh, and granted, it's it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, which is why Sebastian gets into showing you how how you might actually structure your application and, and build um, build it in a way that you can share these pieces of code. Uh, did you? I mean, have you messed with any of this stuff yet? You, I know you love Angular. <laughs> um, Angular and me are, are not the best of friends, but. <laughs> Uh, I'm learning. I'm learning to love it. Um, yeah, right now, it's a love-hate relationship. Uh, <laughs> more hate than love, right now. Yeah, I, th I think. I think for me, it's more. Um, it, it's new, and it's not so much even the learning curve of it. It's the fact that there's so many different uh, frameworks and stuff that are are trying to keep pace with the velocity of the Angular releases. You know, we've gone from beta to uh, Angular 2, uh, the full release, and then we skipped right past 3, went to 4, and now we're on like 4.2.6, something like that. And uh, mm -hmm. it just keeps moving really fast. And every time Angular changes, the, uh, the other things that you use along with it have to change to keep up, and you get weird errors that don't make a whole lot of sense, um, at least most of the time, <laughs> in my opinion get a lot of undefined this and that, and you're, you're kind of left scratching your head. So it, it's kind of the nature of the beast. But uh, what's really cool about Angular is the fact that they've decoupled the views mm -hmm. from the framework. So you can, you're not tied to HTML. You can use stuff like XAML uh, and, or XML, and uh, you can then uh, reuse your code with, things like native scripts so you can yep. write your web and your native logic and uh, do code sharing between those platforms uh, and uh, Sebastian wrote you know really cool article about how that's done and the details of it he's really in depth in that article yep well and one of the things I should mention since you know you were talking about how much you love angular um, <laughs> because we didn't we didn't have it in the the show notes for this particular episode but uh, the other day, TJ wrote an article, TJ Van Toll, um, about the kind of, it's not complete yet, but early days support for Vue.js with NativeScript. So uh, this was actually a community effort, uh, started completely as a community effort, but we've kind of uh, joined in that uh, to some degree, trying to help support uh, Vue.js as a, an alternative framework. So... I mean, that's one of the beauties to me of NativeScript versus some of the alternatives is that it's not prescriptive about what you need and how you need to do things. Um, you, if you don't like Angular, you can do plain old JavaScript, um, or potentially now as this develops, you can do Vue. Uh, and there's even people apparently working on on a port for Preact. Um, 
So if you want to use Preact to build native mobile apps. So that to me is like that flexibility in NativeScript is huge. Um, whereas, you know, other other things like, like say React Native, I mean, obviously as the name implies, you cannot decouple React Native with Re from React. It, they come together, um, which is, you know, for a React developer, obviously that's not a problem at all. But if you're not a React developer and, you know, you want or you're somebody who just likes to have their options open, I think that's one of the nice things that NativeScript offers. Yeah, I think I think this is something that developers that use a lot of JavaScript um, expect from a JavaScript platform like NativeScript. And, you know, if you're writing JavaScript, there's, um, you know, way more than one way to skin a cat, right? You're, you've got Angular, Vue, and Knockout, and React, and all these uh, MVC, MVVM type yeah. uh, frameworks out there. Uh, NativeScript's no different. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different ways to write NativeScript applications, uh, and I think that's that goes with the territory of JavaScript in general, right? Yeah, and you know, and as... I think we've talked about this before, but as as somebody who's kind of been around in development for a long time, it's it's definitely one of the things that that I uh, I don't like being locked in to a framework. I don't like even being locked into a language or anything like that. I you know because I've found too many times where I've had to switch gears very quickly because the market changed or my job changed or things like that. You know. Um, so I, I, I try not to be very, um, you know, kind of overly religious about, particularly about frameworks, right? And I know that that's not necessarily always the case in this community. Uh, so, but that's, it was one of the things even back in the early days when I, you know, started at Telerik, uh, one of the things that drew me here was because things like Kendo UI were not prescriptive while some of the alternatives were very prescriptive. It was like, you yeah. develop your app however you want. We just want to support however it is you build your app. Versus other ones were like, yeah, you know, use this, but you have to do everything in a particular way. And it, which is the kind of thing that has always pushed me away um, is, you know, is that overly prescriptive way of doing things or that lock into a particular framework. Um, you know, maybe it's because, you know, of my background and things like Flash and Flex and those things just poof. Uh, you know, I don't want to get burned again. So, uh, so I, I love. That's one of the things I love about NativeScript is that is that it's not prescriptive. You don't want to use Angular. Don't use Angular. You want you know you want to try and build support for things like Vue or Preact. Go for it. Yeah, you can use pure JavaScript. You can use pure uh, native or um, um... pure Angular. Is that <laughs> Types, TypeScript. Oh yeah, TypeScript. Pure TypeScript. <laughs> Use TypeScript with Angular. You can use yeah, Vue. Exactly. Do all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I, I'd probably use TypeScript myself. I like the uh, the strongly typed languages. So, so that's that's my opinion anyway. Yeah, I I don't have a strong opinion yet, unfortunately. So maybe you'll form one at uh, the NativeScript Dev Days. Yes, maybe I will. Um, so yeah, so. That's kind of what the, one of the other reasons we haven't talked is because I've been like crazy planning events, uh, which so two different events, one being NativeScript Developer Days, which some of you may recall we did last year in September in Boston. This year, it's also in September, but in New York City. Um, 
and so it's September 18th and 19th, uh, right in Manhattan, a few blocks away from Grand Central Station at a place called Scandinavia House. Uh, we got a ton of speakers lined up already. Pretty much the whole um, the whole schedule is set. If you check out the site at developerday.navescript.org, you can see the schedule and all the details there. We've got a lot of great speakers, uh, not just people from the engineering team and from DevRel, but we got people like like Tracy Lee and uh, Nathaniel Anderson and Nathan Walker, uh, Alex Siskin, Jeff Welpley, um, so Nick, Nick Raboy. So these are all people who, if you're either a NativeScript or a JavaScript developer, you may have heard of these people already. Um, so it should be really good. It should be a lot of fun. And uh, obviously tickets are on sale, so. Yeah, if you oh, want yeah. an excuse to go visit New York and uh, see New York, use NativeScript as your excuse. Exactly. Get your company, <laughs> get your company to pay for it if you, if you can. <laughs> and then the other one that I'm working on, um, well, for many of our listeners, maybe a little bit out of, uh, out of reach for them, uh, is DevReach, which, so if anybody who's listening has been a longtime Telerik fan, they may remember DevReach for many years. Uh, Telerik ran it in, in Sofia, Bulgaria, um, and it was for, for the, that region, it was probably one of the most prominent conferences, developer conferences. Uh, one of the things that was really neat, and I spoke at it twice, one of the things that was really neat about it is that it was never about um, Teller products, right? It was really a community conference that happened to be sponsored and run by Teller. Uh, and I think that was one. That's one of the things we're trying to bring back to it again this year. So it's going to be in November, November thirteenth and fourteenth. So if anybody is actually listening and who lives in Europe or feels like traveling all the way to Sofia, Bulgaria, um, tickets are on sale for that. Uh, we have, I have some big name speakers uh, that are going to be announced, but we already have some really well known speakers. Um, Already on the list, including uh, Ray Camden, uh, Tomomi Yamura, Eric Lawrence, who used to work for us, now works for Google, who is the creator of um, Fiddler. I know we got a lot of Fiddler fans, uh, you know, and I've got some other really exciting names uh, coming up. Um, Scott Addy, who's who wrote the article we talked about today, it will be speaking there as well. Um, um, I'll also have Scott Addy on the show next week. Oh, cool! You guys can talk about it. He just—we just confirmed him this morning, so he will be there. Um, so that—that's exciting as well. Very nice. So that does it for us today. Uh, if you'd like to listen to more shows, subscribe to uh, our show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're also available on Channel Nine. That's really handy if your company firewalls won't let you. Uh, get the podcast. Maybe you've conned them into getting Channel 9 available uh, on your networks. So we are up on Channel 9 if you want to just uh, listen to us while you work. And uh, you can also find us on SoundCloud. And uh, that's especially handy if you're you're viewing us on the web or you can subscribe directly from there as well. Uh, remember, you can always leave show comments at SoundCloud or developer.telerk.com. And you'll also find the newsletter there at developer.telerk.com. 
So thanks again for tuning in. Brian, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ed.